So warm welcome to this episode where I will be speaking to Roland Williams, also called Ro. And Ro is a senior consultant at uh, HiQ. He's also an author of the book Principles of Entrepreneur Capital. We had this conversation at SIME, a technology event for entrepreneurs and companies. And it was uh, at Epicenter, a co-working space in Stockholm. So I was actually being interviewed by Ro, um, as he was keen to understand more about Omla and the work we do. It became a really interesting conversation for me to learn about his experience. So that's why I thought I'd share this interview also as part of our podcast. We are talking about some trends within the workplace, how to achieve more balance, but also to access innovation and to grow as a team. I hope you find the conversation valuable and that it can give you some ideas that you can bring back to your team and into your workday to increase your levels of engagement, productivity and creativity. Fantastic. Welcome back to Sime Podcast and we're here today with Sime Perspectives. And our guest is Miriam Sundholm founder of Omla. Tell us a little bit about Omla. Oh yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. And yeah, Omla is the company I started three years ago. And my vision was to bring in more health and well-being into the workplace, or actually into the world. But I think companies have such an important role to play in that. So what's your perspective of a sustainable organization? I believe companies that want to be sustainable need to look also at sustainable people. So companies are made up of people. What does it take to be sustainable as a human today? And that's where you can start. Does it, uh, does it involve happiness? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think happiness is maybe almost like underrated. It's like we all strive in some way for happiness. I think we do a lot of things to be happy, but we haven't maybe had enough education or conversations about what's what is happiness what is happiness for me it's a state of being it's a feeling of doing meaningful things but it's also about being in in really good health is also happiness appreciating that i am and what i am yeah what's your point of view of happiness of happiness wow I would say it's a combination of things. I think contact is important. Feeling connected, I think, to, I guess you would say, the tribe, if you will, for me has been very important. Music, in art, in IT, actually, working with different teams. I think having contact. Yeah. There's something special about that. We... I think you're spot on and we're human beings and we're wired to live in a tribe. I think it's really interesting being here at Simon, hearing about metaverse and everything going on. But we need 
the basic foundation of being a human is like social connections. Yes, yes. And I do believe like in both digital and physical. Wonderful. I'm a big fan. This is a rabbit hole and I know I'm deviating from the script a little bit, but I can imagine you probably have heard about Simon Sinek and Brene Brown and that kind of thing and working with vulnerability, but there is something special. Daring to share, daring to reveal something, daring to open up yeah. in the creative space. And I wonder, can you maybe connect that to your work with innovation and your work with working with companies to help others to become healthier organizations? Yeah, no, I think it's an important thing is to talk about things and take away the taboo. There's so stigma. much, yeah. yeah, the stigma around things mm. is like we are living in challenging conditions. We have a lot of uncertainty there's there we know there's a war going on there's also recession recession potentially coming and a lot of people suffer from mental health issues also personal circumstances may be going through a divorce or challenge in the workplace so that has a direct impact on our health and well-being so we are then stressed and that causes imbalance in our nervous system and that's human. Can we talk about that and give everyone understanding that you as a human being, you can regulate yourself, you can become more peaceful, you can become more happy if you're given the tools. Wow. So there's a physiological aspect to mm. innovation. Oh, yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Also imagine when we are at our best selves, we feel happy or relaxed. And that's when you have the mental space or even you can call it mental capability to be creative because you can't, you will not be in a state of creativity if you're stressed about meeting deadlines or paying the bills and all of that. Yeah, it's really very inspiring because a few months ago, my manager came by and said, hey, would you just for... A little while. Would you take care of our lab? Would you manage the lab, which is consultants we have out in the field, and they come back and work at home for a little while before, or between assignments, if you will, before they go out on an assignment. So I started that, and I'm getting to know quite a few of them are system architects and Java developers and .NET and all kinds of things, right? So pretty heavy with the tech thing. And one of them is a C plus developer, very talented. And she says to me, we're in the lab and have these different innovation projects and whatnot and working on everyone's CVs and motivating their emails and all kinds of stuff. And she says, it would be good if we had a time to slow down. And I said, what do you mean? Now, I hadn't really considered this. I'm thinking of just the day-to-day, -day, the grind. Yeah. We need to make sure that we meet, we have our stand-ups. Yeah. Okay. And people are contributing and that they feel engaged in what they do. And she said, yeah, but that's great, bro. But we also need a time to slow down. And she said, I use this one thing that I found, this meditation. What if we did that? I love it. And yeah. So twice a week. Now, I, again, I can't take credit. This is coming from my colleague, Helene. She's the one who said, why don't we do this? And then she sent me this link. And every week... Since then, we have whatever, stop everything, Tuesday and Thursday, actually, at a certain time, 
we will put that those videos on and listen to them together. And it's really powerful. It's so beautiful to hear that you do it together as yes. well as a yes. team. It's fantastic. And those, if you can't make it or whatever, but, and every week, somebody's on the other end. If they're not with me in the room, then they're on the other end in teams or whatever. And uh, to me, it's been very powerful. It's quite humbling to think about that. Yeah. Just talk a little bit about that before we move on. Wow, yeah. I, there's so much to say. Um, to slow down is one of the most powerful things you can do. And we don't understand why it's important, mm. but it has physiological aspects that it enables you to, in your brain, your brain will make new connections. And sometimes you get this aha moment. That's just because you relax enough that to happen and then there's an opportunity to really just be because like it's going from a state of doing to a sense of just being and I believe we have so much more inside of us that we can tap into but if we constantly strive for seeking knowledge outside of us we don't listen to that inner guidance so either just you have it all inside you know how to solve problems i'm convinced that's that's how it is really wonderful so you have a background in digitalization and since we're here at sime i wonder if we could talk about that that you're driven by this combination of new technology and research Maybe you can just unpack that a little bit more for us. Yeah, so I started my career at Accenture as a management consultant. And I've been working with digital tools to improve customer experience. So you can simplify for customers that wants to have better service or easier to sell things. But we as a technologist, they are tools. And you need to think about what you want to achieve with your tools. So I think there's a huge an important conversations to have about why we design things and for what purpose, like the purpose behind purpose the digital tools. And But what's really cool is that you can use technology. One thing that I have used at a client engagement is a tool, a technology from a Swedish company, Linkira, who I collaborate with, where you measure your heart rate variability. And yeah, just for to take a little bit of context, you do that to understand your stress and recovery ability. And by using that technology, you as an individual, you become really empowered because you basically get a better alignment with your body. So it's been, actually they shared some research that 25% of people that believe they're not stressed, like physiologically, they are stressed. Wow. Because we're disconnected from our bodies at times. So if you run around unaware of the fact that you are in a high state of stress, that will wear you out. And that's, I might personally had that experience. Like I was living in London, I was doing a lot of work, I was very social, there's so much fun stuff to do. I was having a time of my life, but it was too much. I started noticing like mental capabilities disappeared. My It was the most scary part of my life because I felt like I'm losing it. Like I'm losing my mind. Wow. It's deep. Yeah. So this once coming back to 
focusing and having that sort of slow down approach and being able to find maybe an inkling of balance in our work life, being able to do that. And you've applied that in, in your work with La. What's your perspective on health and the importance of it in the organization? So now you've applied that. Let's talk about health and these organizations. What does it do for the organization? What does it do for the good of humanity? What does uh, it mean? Yeah, it can have a profound impact on the people, the employees. And as we know, that's future of work. It's people doing the work. That's we that needs to solve the big challenges the world are facing. We need to be at our best and fullest capacity. And so if you bring in health and well-being, that's actually empowering or enabling people to be their best selves. Because I think we can recognize that when we feel sort of imbalanced, we feel supported, we have a great team, that's really where magic can happen. Wow. Yeah. Uh, have you experienced that with your team when it all At times, works? absolutely. At times. It's been really something. But I think that there's also something about tea elite. You guys yeah. have a good word for that, Swedish. Trust. Having that trust with each other and somehow not having the need to perform or to prove that you're worth your, your opinions or whatever is worth something. I like to use music and illustration and storytelling in my work oftentimes. Mm. This is a fantastic conversation. And first of all, I'd like to thank you for that ahead of time. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. I'm getting some really great questions from you. So thank you. Please go ahead. I mean, <laughs> with this, uh, the idea of being connected, being in touch with, with your flow, being yeah. in touch with your balance. It flow is this state of being actually in your peak performance, it could say. It could, or but it's a sense of being at ease. It's like it comes naturally through you almost. And what's characterized by this taste is a constant state of awareness. You are not really thinking what you're doing, you're just doing it. And it's been studied first in more musicians, that type of professions, but also in, in athletes. But it's definitely something we all can experience when we are consumed by the activity we're doing so we're all we're losing our sense of self and that's such a great state to be in that you're just very present with what is and what i've understood from looking into this topic it's when you are your abilities are or your challenge is it's actually said like four percent higher than your own abilities because then it becomes a stretch for you so you're like you're almost you are stepping up to a bigger potential which is really interesting so it's a, you feel that you are growing in that state as well really nice really nice miriam we're here with miriam sundholm do you see am i saying it correctly like, yeah i got inspiration from the sanskrit word that comes i'm sure some of you might have sung in yoga classes for me this is a word full of potential and positivity it's also said to be the universal sound of oneness which i think is a very beautiful way to say it wow wonderful and we also 
just before the break here, we talked a little bit about how we can tap into into this maybe in non-traditional situations. We're in a at work perhaps working on an IT project. We're meeting with developers or we're meeting with designers or product owners or we have a design sprint or we have a Kanban exercise. The Scrum Master is looking for something. There are deadlines. There's a little bit of stress involved, right? Yeah. We have logistics. Yes. What can we do? Let's break it down for our listeners. What can we do? Yeah, to be really concrete. Mm. I love that. I think it's it's an intention you can set for yourself when you go into a meeting. So if you're going into this big Scrum Master meeting and you know, how do I want to be in this meeting? Do I want to be open to new ideas? Do I want to make the best possible outcome for this team? You don't know how you're going to do that, but that's just your intention. That's really great. It's like you're setting you up for success. Your intention. Yes. And then when you do go into the conversation, be present. So don't think that you need to perform. I think as a leader, it's you maybe think that you need to say something really clever or, you know, you need to deliver. No, just go into the present moment and be open for what that situation will unfold, like how it will unfold and just be present with that. Wow. And this, and in fact, my, again, my colleague had inspired me in the lab to, to go ahead and have these sessions. We call them slow down sessions where we listen to a guided meditation that guide often says something like if you have some other thoughts while we're literally in meditation you may have some other thoughts and that's okay oh yes something might always stream by (laughs) if you will and that's okay but let's focus on this and he goes into okay and now your legs and knees and what let's talk about that a little bit is it accepting that you know The world is still turning. Yes. Your work life is still moving. You still have to pick up the milk on the way home, etc. Yeah, your thoughts will always be there. And I think this is something, because I I obviously, it was a challenge to start meditating for me. I started doing yoga because that gives an opportunity to come into my body and to become present. And it is actually a preparation for meditation. So for me, it has helped because it helps me still my mind. And then I can sit and observe. And it's called the Buddhist, I think, talk about the monkey mind. Like our minds, our thoughts, they will always be there. And that's good because it's wow. it's because we're alive, like we have thoughts. So you should be happy that you have thoughts. The day you don't have thoughts, then you're not on this earth anymore. But what you can do, it's like your relationships to your thoughts. This was a huge one for me personally. Because previously, I thought that if I had a thought, then that was right. And I, those can be like also self-criticism. Oh, I suck at this. And then you believe that to be true. So you put, you have the risk if you believe your thoughts is that you limit yourself and that you have a wrong perception of who you are. Wow. You're much, so that's guess, you're much more than your thoughts. So by meditation, you can, I encourage you to be like curious yeah. about your thoughts. And yeah, number two, so first is like awareness about my thoughts. 
Number two is acceptance. Acceptance. Wow. Everything. And that's super challenging as well. Now that's powerful. And I apply that in, in different contexts and music and whatnot, but I think it's really wonderful for the listeners. Do you have any, just as we're wrapping up, do you have any recommendations when it comes to podcasts or magazines or any sort of literature out there, a book perhaps, an author, something that maybe someone else would have used for? Yeah, I've many books that's come across my journey. The Power of Now is probably some many are familiar with but just uh, you know what just listen in i think this is you are the best guru so i would encourage you not to seek the answers so much from outside but just take two minutes or just one minute sit in silence see what comes up and then from that place you will see that things will come to you the things that you need the books that you need to read they will come to you and uh, you yeah, as start as you start subscribing on stuff on YouTube, you get more suggestions, right? So the algorithms are working in your favor in that aspect. With that, Miriam, I'd like to say namaste. Oh, namaste. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Sign Perspectives. I'm Roland Williams, co-author of Entrepreneurial Capital, The Principles of Intra- Capital. And today we have Jonas Almaling with us from Ericsson One. Jonas, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Ericsson One. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Roland. Yeah, so my name is Jonas. I'm, I'm head of partnerships and ecosystem at Ericsson One, which is an entrepreneurial support unit, incubator, accelerator, venture builder. Yeah, many buzzwords, many taglines that you can put on that. But in essence, Ericsson One is the place at Ericsson where we can build any new business that we want for any customer with any business model and with basically any intent there. Mm-hmm. It's built around the notion that we have 100,000 fantastic people inside of Ericsson with great ideas, dreams, and we want to make it possible for them to realize them and get out of their way. That's mm-hmm. the, the, the inherent design here is making it as easy as possible for them to to test their ideas and see whether it's a viable Ericsson business. You guys describe an entrepreneur. I'm just going to read this from the website, which I think is it's quite interesting. An entrepreneur is a person who develops new ideas and businesses with a company. So we're talking about inventors, pioneers, explorers, change makers, doers, et cetera, et cetera, who sit at the desk next to you. And your experience, talk a little bit about the kinds of people who are entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs in Ericsson, they're anyone in the organization, anyone who really are interested in and feels that they are rewarded by developing Ericsson as a company, Ericsson as a product, Ericsson as a service, Ericsson as a value creator. An entrepreneur at Ericsson could be anyone in any function anywhere in the world. And that's really also the mission that we've taken on because to some extent, Ericsson is an engineering company, which means that there are product development units, there's research, there's a lot of places that where problems are solved by engineers. And it might be perceived that they're the ones who are also the entrepreneurs, but we support anyone in any function. You can come from payroll and have an idea about how a metaverse solution could look like. So that's the, really the way we see it is that we're here for the ones who want to take on that challenge and right. they're the ones that we're supporting. Fantastic. Now, what, give us an example of a 
projects at, at Ericsson. So some examples of great projects we have. One that is very close to my heart is something called Ericsson Connected Recycling which is a solution to the whole sort of recycling of materials into a, a, circular, a really working circular economy. Today, in many parts of the world, that is a gray economy. It's, it's a part of the economy where there's a lot of, and it's a shady business created on that. It's also a huge part of our economy where corporates and enterprises producing material, they need to pay a lot of fines because they're not recycling material. So a company like PepsiCo, they would pay like billions of euros in fines in Europe because they're not recycling the material that they're putting out. So that means that there is an economy there that could be changed, that you could change the value transactions in that just to make sure that someone who's bringing a plastic bottle to recycling is the one who actually gets that money instead of the, the EU getting that as a fine. So it's based on that and it's based on the fact that we have a mobile wallet solution that we, we've implemented with a few hundred million users and this is now being turned into an, a, a circular uh, economy solution instead. So that's a fantastic way of utilizing what Ericsson already has, technology that we have, the reach that we have into building something both that is a very viable business but also a very impactful business. We need a lot of smaller companies, ventures perhaps that come in and meet them and they have a chance to actually develop something with you, maybe do a proof of concept or an MVP. Tell us about that process. So we have a 5i process, which is an innovation and process in, in, at its core, but it's also a decision process and it's a, an, an anchoring process and a validation process. We've tried to connect everything that is in our process to these stages of innovation where we go from idea to initiation to iterations around that and then to, to final stage of industrialization. In terms of building, what the, what is core in this is that we always, when we get to the point that we realize that we have a solution that might be fit for a problem, we always bring in customers and partners and the ones who have that problem and want it to be solved in that process. That's the, I think for anyone who's been in entrepreneurship and startups and developing companies, we know that one of the hardest things is building something that a customer actually wants. So we made that part of the process and it's, it's a necessity to have to be able to get the funding that we supply for any project and venture. Okay. Fair enough. And then it is, it's definitely a sort of circular, bumpy road. It's not a straight line, which the process looks like. We definitely iterate, we build pox and pilots, and then we do an MVP, hopefully somewhere. And then probably we pivot and we have to go back and do a new pilot maybe. Or it's a process of going back and forth between testing, validating, and then at the end scaling. Mm. And that goes a bit back and forth. It's not a straight line. So that, therefore, we have some a, a transparent decision process on that. We have funding. We treat this as an investor where we, yeah. we can do investment. We can do follow-on investments. And we can hopefully down the line actually involve other investors as well in that process. How do you do temperature really on which innovations actually should be put in the water, if you will? <laughs> which ones are successful? Which ones, yeah, that was, we learned something, but we should apply it something else completely. How do you do a temperature reading on which ones? 
great. We work with mostly business innovation that where there is a fairly close, where there's a closeness, like we're close to an active market, let's put it that way. Okay. So market is the proof point that we're looking for. Market movement, competitors, others doing this. And so that's really, we're unfortunately sometimes not in, we don't have the possibility to invest in something that is like more than three, five years away. No. Okay. So therefore it, it really is about seeing those proofs that the movement is happening. But that said, one of the keys to doing this is that we always harvest learnings along the way from our project. So that take this now four years in, we've developed, I think I've been involved with four different projects on positioning where we know that there is a problem in need of a solution. But maybe we haven't found that solution yet, but there's learnings from every project that we go through on that, both gathering that knowledge as some type of intellectual capital in a sense, but also making sure that people stay and that we keep the ones who are trying and doing and let them do again and and, and do over and all that. That is probably the real key to Mm. that's where the competence comes in, where we build this muscle, this function, this ability to do this. That, that is the most important part that I think we've invested in. We're getting a lot of questions on this model that we have in the book. We have a 4C model where we bring innovations in from the outside and these four steps, and you're very familiar with this, of course. But I wonder, just for our listeners, exploring, in other words, an outside innovation, meeting a company at a Stockholm meetup or even sign like this, someone might say, hey, I have something. That's quite interesting dealing with AI or dealing with knows what. Yeah. These kinds of shifts between them. Larger context like Ericsson, a corporation, or an ABB or an Electrolux or an IKEA or a Coca-Cola or whatever it is. There's a whole nother culture. Absolutely. And I wonder maybe you can just describe some of those kind of cultural disconnects, quite frankly. What's the cultural discourse here? Can you just talk about that a little bit between the two? I'll, first of all, I'll be honest and, and say we, Ericsson One, is not really a place where we bring in startups and outside entrepreneurs okay. and outside projects because we are limiting that capability. Gotcha. Okay. How, however, once in a blue moon, we do have examples of that happening. And we do have environments, like there's something called the Ericsson Garage in, in Lindholm and in Gothenburg, where we bring in outside people students, startups, whoever wants to get involved in experimenting around a topic, a problem, a technology, whatnot. So this happens once in a while. I think the most important aspect of collaborating with startups and the collaboration between startups, corporates, when it comes to sort of culture and managing expectations, so on, is that for a startup and for an entrepreneur, manpower and hours is the most important resource that they have. Sure. There's, if you waste time on building a pilot for a corporate for a year, would take five people to build that. You wasted five man years on that. If a corporate wasted five man years, Mm -hmm. we have a hundred thousand people. It's a drop in the ocean. It's a fart in space. Wow. For an entrepreneur, that's the most important resource there. That could be the difference between life and death for a startup. So that if you want to get involved with this type of collaboration, you need to understand that that's the most important currency to keep track of. That's great. Make sure to use that time wisely, both ways. And it's really a responsibility for the corporate mostly to make sure that you don't 
waste startups and entrepreneurs time on right. things that really doesn't lead to a potential success and very valuable learning for that startup and that company. That's great. Rules, the rules of the game. They're, yeah. On the other side of the equation, we have management team, if you will. Here's where the decisions are made on the left side mm. of the equation. There's high influence. Let's talk about that a little bit. Really, we get a lot of questions. Okay, how do you take these innovative things into a large corporation, but then let's make them into the ongoing business. I think there, there's a huge difference between this radical type of innovation and business development that we're talking about sure. here, where you're creating something new compared right. to the sort of incremental innovation and development of a current product or solution. Mm -hmm. Ericsson One's mission is to create new business areas for Ericsson. We're sure. here to build new core businesses. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it really goes to the point of saying we're building something inwards. We're not here to spin off. We're not here to create new ventures and so on. It really is about building new products and new services. And we've definitely firsthand experienced the resistance from an organization on this topic. I can't, of course, name any names or point out any exact topics, but for example, something like challenging a roadmap, where there's a roadmap in the organization saying, we're developing a certain capability, but that's 18 months down the line. And right. we're coming there and we're disrupting that roadmap and saying, but we have it now. So you're actually challenging the priorities and what are in the organization with actual products and services. We've tested that it's fit for market now, but it still competes for resources. It competes for attention and it might even cannibalize on something that we're developing in our core business. So what we've learned here is a lot to, to anchor and bring in the rest of the organization and figure out as early as possible, where in the organization does this fit? Where is it adjacent? Where does it potentially lie? down the line. There could be multiple options. Then bring on, bring in all those options. Make sure to involve those stakeholders and make sure that they get a say and their voice heard in the development that you're doing so that they feel that they're connected to that. It must doesn't mean that you always give them influence because to some extent you're building something outside of that influence, but do make sure that they have a possibility to give feedback and to be heard and to be listened to and be valued because that means that they will both be able to put it on the agenda and on the, uh, the radar of a current business. But, and, but also when you come there with that product and solution, then you have a much higher success rate and possibility of including it in the current business. Right. So there's quite a bit of focus on the value proposition. You also are networking, I'm assuming, mm. here quite a bit. Absolutely. With upper management or whatever. And then understanding the mechanisms that make this happen, the ongoing business, how much of your time is spent literally networking with these folks and why should they care? The further along in the innovation process, the closer we get to industrialization, more and more becomes about managing your own organization, getting them out of the way in some ways, but also making sure that we fit into that machinery. And that's a hard job for an entrepreneur who's building something for a customer. Like we want to make sure that they stay on with a hundred percent focus on the customer. customer. We work with the internal organization. Gotcha. So that's a lot of stakeholder management. Absolutely. Right. Fortunately for me, that's not really my job, but I do value that. And I think it's something that shouldn't be neglected and it should also be understood how hard it is for these people to act on on the type of direction that we're building like being brave for example what we talk about a lot how hard is that for a decision maker 
whose everyday job is to limit risk, eliminate risk, and may take as little risk as possible. But in this direction, you're supposed to take risks. You're supposed to fail. You're supposed to value that failure and turn that into learnings instead of a product offering and something that generates bonus at the end of the year. So we're going contradictory to a lot of design in the organization. A lot of OKRs and KPIs and whatnot is built on a complete opposite direction. Yeah, it's swimming upstream. So that, that's really the hardest challenge, I would say, for a unit like this is to, to and that takes, it takes a long time, to create that comfort zone, to make it possible for people to really act on that purpose act on that and be as brave as they are right. because everyone wants to be that brave. Absolutely. If you ask them individually, they definitely want to, Sure, but they also always most, or at least for act in a way that they perceive that the organization wants you to. It's a, it's a very, very tough one. And I don't think there are any other ways than leading by example and just knowing and understanding that this is, it's something that takes time to, to build that trust because it's trust in Ericsson One for us. Yeah. Like the whole organization needs to trust that we're, we can do what we set out to do. And it's a hard job. And so many people have failed on it before. So yeah. why are we the ones who can do it now? And, and just also have trust and faith in the fact that you're, you're going to be rewarded for something down the line that you really can't see right. instead of what you can see today. Yeah, yeah. So this type of stakeholder management and involving them and making sure that they, everyone around the organization feels connected to this purpose and that they have a say in it and that they also understanding uh, and listen, listen to them. How do we as an innovation unit make sure that they become better? I'll, I'll take an example. If we have an entrepreneur comes in, he gets uh, or she gets the ability to come in and start a project here and put some time for, away from their day job on, on this. And then they build a product or service for six months and then it fails. Then they go back to their team. So how are they better? Now? Oh, exactly. How does that lead to a better result for that team? How do we make sure that people are developed in alignment with what the rest of the organization wants to see happen? So how do we value this type of entrepreneurial capacity in our core business then? And how do we make sure that these guys are challenged and motivated and engaged in that? Because to some extent, we also want them to 6, 12, 18, 24 months later when they have the next idea. They want to feel motivated to come back and do this again. It's like sports in a way. Yeah. You're measured on your successes, right? You're, are you winning? Yes or no? Yeah. It's pretty... Exactly. And if you always value, and you will inherently look for commercializations and industrializations and wins in the fact that we win with these projects and create these products and services. But a real win is that we should count how many people that has been part of this process and trained and learned more and became better dreamers slash doers uh, and so on and stayed in the organization and kept doing this and maybe went back to, to working with the incremental innovation of our organization and found that much more rewarding, rewarding now that they've now. learned more skills and exactly. whatnot. So there's so much around that that I think we're, we're not measuring enough and not understanding enough yet, but that's to the core of this. I think. That's very interesting. I was in touch with Ika a little while ago and they have a program called the Greenhouse now. Yeah. 
where they have upskilling and reskilling and whatnot. Really wonderful things happening there. It's maybe that's very interesting because then we're talking about parlaying this into back into the organization, maybe doing something else, having a sort of a new, shall we say, a second wind, if you will, in your career at a big organization like that. Is that right, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. This is for anyone who's new or old in the organization. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you see this is, it, it's extremely valuable for new talent coming into the organization. We see that this is very good for attracting new talent mm-hmm. that coming into the organization and making it possible for people to not only have a rewarding day job, sure. but you can take on another purposeful, meaningful challenge for yourself as well. Really good. And that's super good. But also, of course, if you've been working in, in, in an organization for many years and you're really devoted to and really passionate about sure. the development of that organization, this provides a very good to turn that passion and that purpose into value for both you as a person and for the company. And on that note, thank you, Jonas, for joining us today. This has been Sign Perspectives. I'm Roland Williams. See you next time. Fantastic. Victor, good to see you again. I'm Roland Williams, and we're at Syme Podcast Perspectives. My name is Roland Williams. I'm the co-author of The Principles of Entrepreneurial Capital, and I'm very happy to be here today with Victor Lundqvist of Nordic Tech House. Victor, welcome. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about uh, what Nordic Tech House does. Yeah, sure. Basically, you can think of it, it's a consultancy company. In its core, we sell ourselves and our services in an hourly format usually. But what we specialize in and what I've been working with for the last 10 years or so is mainly e-commerce and retail. So I've been trying to think of ways to sell stuff online, basically. And it, of course, covers everything from marketing to user experience on site and loyalty and all of that. Fantastic. And how'd you get into this, Victor? What's your background? Study-wise, I've studied business and economics down in Lund in southern parts of Sweden. Career-wise, I think even before that, I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and find different ways to set up and test different ideas. I've been doing a lot of this. Some I would maybe consider more of a project, but also some companies. Yeah. And the guys that I now work with at Nordic Tech House, we met when we were 12, we've been, do- we've been doing a lot of things okay. before that. Yeah, everything from, we had a neighbor who had kids brands, or a brand for kids selling clothes. They went bankrupt, so we got the whole inventory very cheap. And then we went out in the summer, we packed one of the parents, they had a big horse bus. And we went from city to city and selling children's clothes. That's just one example, but we've done apps, we've done e-commerce brands, and a little bit of here and there, different stuff. But I think that the passion is to... Be creative, try to find ideas and become increasingly better and faster at testing them out and setting it up and see what sticks or not. Out of curiosity, and let's have some fun with this, the younger you, in other words, the younger entrepreneurs, the young boys who were playing back then, who were your superstars, your rock star entrepreneurs that you looked up to at the time? Now, I think that... Well, the latest maybe five years or so mm-hmm. it's been they've been so much more treated as, sup- as superstars okay. the world's most well-known man probably is Elon Musk right mm-hmm. now that wasn't really the case when we grew up it sounds like I'm super old I'm 32 so not too old but not too young yeah uh, also but we all came from entrepreneurial families I think in one way or another so we were used to seeing our 
parents run different stuff and they, my mom she was in real estate and okay. another friend's dad they had a small shop and wow. it wasn't any huge stuff but it was still serving a customer in one end and making it work in the other end and then tying all the knots together and so which informed you seeing that sort of enterprising spirit in your own household did it sort of encourage you to so maybe I could I think it you know it helped me maybe to on that barrier of pursuing a career in that direction so it wasn't anything that could be like unthinkable for me it became pretty natural mm. but it's all we had a pretty loose and fun attitude towards it we all like to do stuff and we also arranged a lot of parties and selling tickets it was for us it wasn't that clear that it was, this was as a career or something professional it was most us just us having fun basically that's, great. that's yeah. fantastic so when did you get get serious if you will was it after your studies in Lund and you said you know what I really want to build X yeah I've had many moments when I really wanted to build X but the fun thing about Nordic Tech House is it's allows it it's like a platform that allows me to combine the entrepreneurial role together with our clients and teams with something that could look like and act like a job in a traditional sense so it's a fla- like a, it's a fun playground for us but very serious playground of course also because we are highly motivated people we're trying to do our best every day and become a little bit better perhaps there there wasn't really any moment like that but now for the last 5 years or so when we have had Nordic Tech House that's been our platform and, and stage yeah well, let's stay there so take me to that playground let's take the listeners to the playground yeah what can we do on the playground? What kind of fun can we have? <laughs> so typically, we help both large companies that want to do something new and this independent entrepreneur that comes to us with an idea. But regardless of who they are, the structure and the way forward is pretty similar. So we're trying to be very careful with their money and their time. And if it's on an idea stage, we try with the minimum effort to test it out and to see what's the feasibility in this idea. We look at different risks. We look at, for instance, like usability risk. We look at the risk of the user not understanding what it is that we're offering. So some sort of understanding risk or something like that. We also look at the risk if this fits within their current business. So perhaps they are, uh, sometimes you found someone else's company. It's actually quite common that you have an idea Mm -hmm. which you set up, which you are not suited to run or something limits you. So we're trying to look and oversee all of these different things. And of course, in the beginning, we try to verify some demand. I know a common thing that you also do and work with is design sprints. So that's a framework and methodology that we typically use to quickly design something. And it can be a landing page, it can be a mock-up or a prototype or whatever it is. And then we run user tests on these things. Uh, So that's one starting point. And then, of course, if we can verify this in a very early stage, we can move to the next phase with putting some money and time into it, building that first version, first prototype, etc. Look at go-to-market strategies. Depends a little bit who comes to us in this playground and uh, where they are. And what kind of talent do you have at Nordic Tech House? So we have... um, 
We have domain experts within different categories and industries. I think I could represent that in e-commerce and retail, something like that. But uh, we also have people with different skill set like developers and designers, of course. That's, I think, the core in our offering. We also have marketeers help us to run both the ads for recruiting user testers or perhaps the first users to something that we launched. It's a pretty broad spectrum, but in many cases also the clients, they come in with and they can fill a few of these spots themselves. Okay. We don't want, for us, there's, it's, there's no must to fully take over a project, but we're trying mm-hmm. to arrange so we have some of the necessi- ne- necessary skill set on board. But, sets, but yeah. yeah. And this is an area that's because you're working with all kinds of projects and digital IT. How does something like uh, chat GPT and everything else that's happening there uh, how would that affect your business? It's funny that you mention it. I was having a, a session earlier before lunch on this topic internally, and we're looking at how we can use it for e-commerce. There's quite a lot of production of content involved, and many modern e-commerce and D2C stores, they like to think of themselves as community first. And that means that in first hand, they are a community, but they also happen to sell stuff. So how do you keep an, a community engaged? Content plays a big part of it. And in written form, ChatGPT can be a very good source, mm-hmm. but it can also write scripts. Like in, for instance, before recording this podcast, I could have asked ChatGPT mm-hmm. to please come up with 10 interesting topics that we could have a conversation about yeah. that are trending right now. Sure. and. I would have a prepared list. Unfortunately, I was not clever enough, uh, but that could maybe be something that we can use for next time. So I think that right now we perhaps were a little bit limited by our imagination, but if you are on your toes and very quickly now, you will see a lot of use cases. Yeah, I think that there's really few areas where we won't have help from an AI tool like that. And what's interesting, I do interviews like this all the time, and you have sometimes as you're talking about something, I might have another thought and try to, okay, how should I segue this into the next topic? Or is this too much of a rabbit hole? And (laughs) I wonder if ChatGPT will will take us on rabbit holes like like I tend to do. (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, you can spend hours in front of that tool. Trust me, I know. And but at the same time, I think you should let yourself have a little bit fun. When yeah. this might be the most interesting new. If we're doing that playground an- analogy, mm-hmm. this is the most interesting new known tool. Or yeah, so so that we want to play with. I think we should allow ourselves some time and some slack on exploring mm-hmm. because it's getting the hands of the first browser again mm-hmm. in the hands of the new smartphone again. So I think that's could be at least. We'll see how it turns out, but it definitely has the potential. Very well said. And actually, just before our interview, I actually, we were talking about this model that was in the book, Principles of Entrepreneurial Capital, which is the 4C model. And in the first page, Albert and Brigitte, actually authors, Albert Bengtsson and Brigitte Charne came up with the 4C model for entrepreneurial capital. But this here, this area here, exploration down here in the far right corner, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about where you are in terms of meeting your customers and the process of maybe working with a big corporate on a project. How's that process for you in in real life, so to speak? How does it work? Yeah. 
So I think this, it sets a very old question or, or from the start of people running agencies. So probably a hundred year old uh, problem, which is how do you charge money for an idea, mm. basically. So if I tell you the idea, it's hard for me to send an invoice after if you don't like it. Maybe you say that you don't like it. How do I charge for it up front before telling you? It's not a, it's not a problem that is very easy to solve, right? So there's been a few different things to come across or come around this. One would be to before before revealing what it is that you're trying to say or trying to pitch, show that you have some common incentives to maybe talk about the problem instead. And you tease them and say, would you be interested in if I had something that could perhaps help you with this problem? Or this is how I see the world. Do you agree upon this, etc.? And then by setting the stage, you might get a commitment. Um, and then another way would be by, that's why agencies often you have the last name of the founders. It's about trust. So if someone is known for continuously coming up with the brilliant ideas, the fourth or the fifth time you would actually pay in advance, mm-hmm. right? So that's basically uh, but something that you can build over time. But I think it fits with right. model of yours because Basically what it is, you paint or you propose a hypothesis to say, I intend to solve this little problem first, our small problem. And then you prove to your counterpart and stakeholders that this was actually true. And then I say, uh, I also think that we can uh, tackle this slightly bigger problem and bigger problem. And in the future, this can become a bearing and substantial part of your revenue if we manage to do this. So if you can prove this over time, four or fifth time, it will be easier to gain That's the acceptance of gatekeepers because there are gatekeepers on every step. And another point on this is companies, they are uh, overwhelmed all the time by people who are trying to get their attention and trying to get something from them. And in 90% of the time, they are salesmen and they represent a company and they have a pitch and they say, I think you should need this tool, etc. And then there's a quite standardized and established way on how to deal with cold emails, cold calls. You have, you're trying to figure out what it is that they offer. Do we have a current supplier for this? X, Y, Z. So there's a protocol to it. Right. Now, what's the protocol of getting cold emailed or calls about ideas? I don't think that wow. it, it exists. Yeah. So so exactly. And that's maybe a point of I, this book could be a very good start for it. And how do you do verify that this person is not a lunatic? And what has he or she done before? Should I? We all have limited amount of time. Should I spend some time listening to this person? Yeah. Do, do you envision, have you seen the the movie Her? With AI. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shocking Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. And um, he's having this conversation and they have this, they develop a relationship, mm-hmm. what he thinks is a relationship yeah. at least, in his perception. Is that something that you think we will eventually get to that point when some AI will be vetting an idea? Yeah, I saw a fun tweet today. Uh, ChatGPT is like e-bikes for your mind. It's a lazy route. You can have the e-bike or this AI tool do the heavy lifting for you and then you can just look through it and see, well, this looks about right or maybe the er- your attention can go to the small errors instead of having to start from scratch start on an empty page so absolutely that could be that could be one way to qualify who you should listen to maybe it develops into a filter it could be a filter on your phone a filter on your email account or yeah. outlook so account if something is worth it it, yeah. it gets through so to speak it's yeah. like a funnel of yeah course. like old time assistant right yeah, yeah, they yeah. had in their 50s yeah this person has been trying to reach you should i call you back now oh yeah. oh. geez wow 
Yeah. We may go there. So where do you feel like the real hurdles are, shall we say? the There's a kind of a threshold between yeah. your idea, having this idea, as you said, I like the way you put it four or five times or whatever, and you're whittling, narrowing the scope here, and you finally get something that is pretty interesting. Yeah. And maybe show that to the customer. Is it a middle size or larger customer with lots of processes and whatnot? Yeah. Then... What do you think is the obstacle? What are the some of the obstacles of getting this into where the corporate authorities, I call it here, D- depends on who you ask. But if you're asking me, me trying to pitch, me trying to sell, me trying to convince someone, there are different tricks you can use. You can say something like, well, "If you're not doing this, is it okay if we do it? And I can call you in two years, and we, I could sell this to you, yeah. either as a solution or the company itself." Mm-hmm. And then they start to think, what? Why is he so confident that this will work? Right. They're, they're all these tricks, you know, that because most people they are risk averse. The worst thing that they can ever imagine is doing something wrong, or it turns out that they have for some they did some mistakes, right? So if they can avo- avoid to lose, it's worth more than the possibility to win. To win. So I think that to convince someone, a stakeholder in this sense, I think you should need to focus 90% of the time on discussing how they should not avoiding mistakes basically so if they miss out on a home run that's a big mistake so you could sort of change that perspective mm-hmm. instead of saying that they're betting a lot of money or resources right. on this now in comparison to having missed this that would hurt more right so that's just one silly example but there's some truth into it i think that the risk aversion side is very much true and you need also to understand who's the best counterpart in this am i talking to the right person mm-hmm. what's their internal incentives it's very unusual that someone is incentivized to come up and integrate good ideas Mm-hmm. or initiatives. Of course, there's some, perhaps some internal strategy consultant that they can have, but they're looking more about how can we make X cheaper or faster. And then there's some business developers looking how can we sell more of. Innovation very much is from zero to one. It's not gradual. It's We create something that didn't exist. So we're not trying to optimize or develop the new version of anything. We're, it's, it, we're trying to take something that doesn't exist and implement it. But as an entrepreneur, you have to be adept at the storytelling for both of these two different systems. Yeah. In other words, describe how innovative and wonderful, this on the right side of the model, yeah. we have the changing system where a Steve Jobs would have mm-hmm. operated, for example. That's the kind of type we'd be over here. And over here we have someone who is maybe a little bit more of a bean counter, yeah. shall we say, which is also needed and very important. So what if, I'm thinking about how you articulated both the innovative quality of whatever you're pitching and the economic and other yeah. brand value Talk about that a little bit. That's, again, in the, I think it's the four risk frameworks mm. that touch upon. Yeah, if, it doesn't, it, if it doesn't fit with your current business, mm. you are not the right organization to operate this new venture or for any reason. Maybe it could be internal cannibalism. It could hurt your current business. It could be very confusing for your clients. It could disturb your positioning mm-hmm. it could there's tons of different reasons why something shouldn't exist under the same roof or from the same brand and you need to kill those counter arguments early 
they are pretty easy to foresee in an early stage once you start to design a value proposition. When you ideate and, and do the design sprint for using that as the framework, we need to look at these future stages risks. And I think that if we're talking to a larger organization, there will definitely be people in both categories. And they, it's not up to one person, many, no. in, uh, usually. And any board of directors or, or consists of multiple different angles and personality types. And so I think you should address all of these concerns, you proceed and present the solution or the answer before they raise the question. At this point in the model, let's say we call it the reveal, but yeah. going from here to there, let's say that you have someone on this side, of course, there might be a sponsor working with an entrepreneur. Maybe you've had several meetings here with the entrepreneur and you're trying to, okay, let's have meetings with the management team, no. or maybe even the board. Who do you take with you? And the reason that before you answer that, isn't it true that you would need to have a multifaceted argument for why this is needed now? Yeah, the question that you ask me, it's also asked as it's me trying to convince them to continue with this project. And I think that dynamic is not always true. If this was my only client, yeah. this was the only person that, that, but that's not how it looks in the, so these gatekeepers, they play an important role. If we didn't have the gatekeepers and if we didn't have the checklist and if we didn't have all the concerns and all the hands raised and questions asked, that would mean that companies would drown in all kinds of silly ideas. I don't think we should have an us against them perspective. It's rather, let's together play the devil's advocate and mm -hmm. think of all the reasons why this wouldn't work gotcha. and then solve this. And if it still looks like there's some promising stuff here, we might consider doing it. If we could have that requirement list okay. together, the things that we actually end up funding mm -hmm. would have a high chance of surviving. Very stringent, I like that. Yeah, so I think that's actually a big part of what we do when we help our clients. In many, I would say in the majority of cases we say this doesn't work and we explain why and then they can decide to take another angle or, or do something differently so we will not bang our heads against the wall and trying right. to force something because in the end we will look bad we gave the false hope of this will have this had the ability to actually take off but sooner or later we will all it will be revealed so I think we have a good environment of working together and play different roles. Let's go into the future a little bit, Victor, before we wrap yep. up. I wonder, what do you see happening in your business? Uh, with AI, we're talking about, we got all kinds of things and developments out there. I just saw some, a company called Lumio Tech, and they have products where you put some sort of contraption on your garment, and it knows where you are, and that's supposed to be a good thing if parents with the kids, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You're out skiing or whatever, and you want to know, okay, tracking device, I'm sure it's broader than that. But that kind of thing in the retail space, what else do you think is coming down the pipeline? So, five, ten years from now, maybe. Yeah, are you talking about the actual product that will end up yes, in? Yeah. Yes. Wow. I guess I think that if you look at consumer behavior, especially the younger generation, they're more and more aware of 
not repeating same mistakes as older generations and I, in this case I refer to taking on a lot of credit. They are more into savings. I think we have record high savings. We had Wall Street bets as a trending Reddit subpage during the pandemic and there's more and more interest in being smart with your money. So I think that and how do you translate that into consumer like consumption? I think that they will be more careful about what they buy and why they buy and also from whom. Higher quality. Do we have tons of services with everything from Trustpilot to all the reviews that you can think of? Secondhand. Secondhand, exactly. Exactly. So you're looking at a much more informed consumer. And then there's consumption for entertainment. I'm talking, I call them TikTok products. It's a dopamine rush to click sure. the buy button. And if it's in the right price range, you can actually present a problem and the solution to this problem in a fun and entertaining way and convince someone completely cold traffic to, to buy an item for 300 crowns, 30 euros, or mm. uh, 400 crowns, 40 euros at an instant. And I see a lot of different products popping up in that mm. space. They always have some gadget or feature attached to them as some sort of smartness, or it's not only X, it's X with Y, that kind of. So do you think that ethics, even this program came out maybe a couple of years ago, Social Dilemma, you probably saw that, with, oh, he's an ethics expert. But these are Facebook, Instagram, those companies, and clearly all of the social media content that's out there is being scrutinized for um, about this dopamine, the dopamine kicks yeah. now that you get and clickbait and yada, yada, yada. If that is part of the design, for example, yeah. for a lot of social media and even consumer goods, mm. that we're literally layering that kind of thing into the consumer flow, if you yeah. Do you think that we'll see more in the near future? Will we see more ethics being part of that design? In other words, it'll become part of the narrative more than ever. I think the short answer is no. I think that there will always be opportunistic actors mm. that mice what they can do the law and within the regulations of the greed will win. Greed will win. Okay. Yeah. And the reason why is because we have more entrants start founding or starting up or setting up their new offerings. Yeah. So the amount of people that are looking into new possible ways to sell stuff online was 10x last five years. Now, we're speaking very bluntly about this, of course. It's not that we're saying it's a good thing that greed will win. We're saying that there is a propensity for this to happen based on the systems. Yeah, exactly. But then it depends on what you mean by greed because, and also if you think of them as conscious buying decisions. One Another way to look at it would be that consumer demand is increasingly fulfilled. In the transaction on the free market, we have a win-win situation. And the seller, they value the money more than the product and the buyer value the product more than the money. So both of them believe that they have gained in value in that transaction. So are those moments, this is very interesting. I read a report, uh, Google has something called micro moments. You've heard of that. So. According to the seminar I attended, I think it was 150 times a day, we touch our phones or our devices, we check them, yeah. they peep, whatever. And if we look at that and we have 5 billion, let's say, devices, smart devices in the world, we're talking about, what, 750 billion micro moments yeah. happen every day. Exactly. <laughs> And if that's the case, then 
are we designing these micro moments to feed that monster, to feed the machine? Yeah, the in some way we are. The platforms want us to spend as much time and money as possible. How can we help make that more purpose-driven? I think, I mean, I think, well, we can tackle this question as an opportunity. So I think that, you know, dopamine detox, that's an area where I could that I would really like to see a company or a service or something could be a filter or it could be an app limiting the usage I for myself I have something every night at 9 hmm. my screen turns grey so it's a grey scale it's very boring to use apps if it's if they're all grey I can tell you that limits my usage on my phone and it turns in colour again at 7 in the morning so hmm. I, that's my detox from parts of it at least right. but I think that this can be more optimized. I also try to block, I block the big newsletter. I block that on my work browser. I block different forums that I have. Everything, because for me, I always lose the internal debate with myself. So I'm trying to never have that. So uh, let's talk about that. Yeah. We're talking about. This is very interesting. In real life, will in real life, IRL, will that become the new thing, the new hot thing. Yeah. I read an article this a while ago. I think it was had to do with some folks on New York, let's say Wall Street. And this travel service realized that there was a market for doing some extreme travel, literally. Yeah. So these people would go into this travel agency and the deal was you had to leave all your devices with them. You paid this extraordinary sum. Hmm. And you would, they would get you on a plane, and the next thing you know, you'd be in, I don't know, the savannah somewhere, yeah. or <laughs> some safari somewhere, eight, ten hours away by the super jet. And then they would, you'd have this experience, and you would not be connected in any way, be a guided thing, and then they would bring you back. Now, if that's worth paying for, what, it, what happened just now, was it that they paid to be unplugged? Hmm. Is that going to be the thing? I think definitely there's a need for that. It could it's elevate. It's pathetic. Yeah, it is. It is. But it's like, what about, can we? you and I just go for a walk in the park? Yeah, but look who we're up against. <laughs> we're up against the smartest people in the world, backed by super... Or, comp- or the smartest. Look at what, the recruiting agencies, or I mean, look yeah. at Google. We're competing with Google here. So it's us against the top performance at top universities. So, uh, are you listening? Okay, yeah, yeah. So this is—it's uh, not really fair for us to win in our everyday moment to not pick up the phone and not scroll Instagram and not. They are designed. They spend billions of dollars to figure out how they can keep us on these platforms, and they're doing a very good job. I think that it's also interesting to think of humanity—how much we spend collectively on these platforms. Okay, Victor, let's go out on a high note. Yeah, let's dream a little bit. What's your dream for a better world? Ooh, very broad subject, but and let's bring it. Let's say let's touch some of the things that are in within your realm. If yeah, well. I have one thing that's pretty concrete uh, that we can talk about. Which uh, there's, I think, some service showing that there's. I don't know exactly the percentage, but there's too many people who are currently in position and jobs that they don't like. That I think I don't think it's sustainable for much longer. We, I mean, that's something that I would really like to change and tackle if to see. Either by initiatives like this book, openness to new ideas, could be transforming their workspace. They could become founders, maybe, or trying out something else. And with hybrid work, working from home, working in office, there's a lot of things happening now connected to um, how we work, where we work. If we could optimize 
the eight, nine, seven, ten, eleven hours, whatever we spend each day, most of us working and make it more fun and more fulfilling, more rewarding. I think that would be something great for mankind. Yeah, because as I said, we spend so much time on it. And for the people in that survey, I think say that they didn't like. Wow. So I mean, it's that's pretty sad to think like for the working population are currently in positions that they don't enjoy. Wow. Yeah. That's and that's collectively a huge amount of time in potential suffering. I'm not saying that they suffer. But there's definitely things that we can do there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Victor. And this has been really insightful. I'm really just quite inspired right now. So thank you for that. And this has been Syme Podcast perspectives. I'm Roland Williams. See you next time. Thank you for listening in and remember to subscribe so you get notified when we release our next episode of this podcast. And you can always reach out to me. You can connect on LinkedIn or send me an email on miriam at omla.se and I wish you a beautiful rest of your day and your week hoping you are staying healthy happy and thriving wherever you are in the world bye bye